Our message today comes from the book of Isaiah, chapter 7, 10 through 17. Again, the Lord spoke to Ahaz, saying, Ask a sign of the Lord your God. Let it be deep as Sheol or high as heaven. But Ahaz said, I will not ask, and I will not put the Lord to the test. Then Isaiah said, Hear then, O house of David, is it too little for you to weary mortals that you weary my God also? Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. Look, the young woman is with child and shall bear a son and shall name him Emmanuel. He shall eat curds and honey by the time he knows how to refuse the evil and choose the good. For before the child knows how to refuse evil and choose the good, the land before whose two kings you are now in dread will be deserted. The Lord will bring on you and on your people and on your ancestral house such days have not come since the day of Ephraim departed from Judah, the king of Assyria. This was the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. I wonder if you ever had to relearn a skill. It's not always the hardest thing to do, and it's not always the easiest thing to do. But I find that the, the questions that we ask as we relearn that skill the second time through are uh, pretty different. We end up asking why a whole lot more. And that question of why is pivotal. When I was in seminary, I um, we used to take notes on like a laptop, and I was not remembering my content. So I had to um, start taking them by like longhand, you know, cursive. And then I got to this place where I couldn't remember how to make a cursive cue, because it's just a two. And I thought that was ridiculous, so I changed it, and it worked a lot better. Uh, but as you relearn those skills, those questions of why come up again and again. And I think reading the Bible is a, is a lot like that. We're going to begin this series called, How Should We Read the Bible? And in some regard, I think we all know how to read the Bible. You just open it and read it. So, done. Say amen and we're finished. Um, but we're going to spend two weeks with this, asking how in the world should we read uh, the Bible, how do we do it, and then what does it mean? Today I want us to wrestle with the way that we read the Bible. And so we all learned how to read in school, and I wonder why you read the Bible. Maybe um, you don't read the Bible, <laughs> I don't know. Maybe you read the Bible and it's this way to, to learn more about God. Maybe you're curious about this whole God thing and you heard the Bible's important, so you figured you should look into it a little bit. Or maybe you read the Bible daily. You have a, a quiet time or a devotional time. However you read the Bible, or however you don't read the Bible, I want to propose a few key tips and tricks to reading the Bible effectively and with awe today. Reading is not as easy or straightforward as it seems. So think about the things that we read on a daily basis. Um, anything on your phones, right? You're reading as you scroll through your Facebook news feed. Uh, you're reading when you drive all those signs that are sort of bombarding you. You're looking for the street or the store, and you see the logo. That's a form of reading. Or you see the actual title or the, the, the store sign. The sheer amount of reading that we do on a daily basis is actually kind of mind-boggling. But let's dissect that for a bit in a fun way. And I promise, I promise that this has to do with the Bible. So let's take the word pomegranate as an example. It's just fun to say. 
Um, but what does pomegranate mean, and how should we read that word? And you might be saying, well, Josh, I need some more context. And I'd say, fair, good. You are beginning to see that reading is not as easy as you might think. So let's say the context of the word pomegranate is next to the words stop and poison. All of a sudden, the word pomegranate really means something else now. And let's say that word pomegranate is uh, in a text from your wife with the words uh, bread, diapers, chocolate, and wine. (laughs) All of a sudden, pomegranate means something else now. And words are funny like that, uh, which makes reading a challenge when we sit down and think about it. And it can be a challenge because traditionally there's three elements of communication. You have the author of the word, you have the word itself or the text, and then you have the reader. And I won't go into this a whole lot, but a question that we should be holding is out of those three, the author, the text, and the reader, which part of that equation holds the most meaning? Pastor Peter will touch on that a little bit next week. But let's take our grocery list example from earlier. Bread, diapers, chocolate, wine, and pomegranate. You have the author, our lovely spouse. You have the text, kind of the the medium, which is a text message, and the words themselves that I'm reading on my phone. And uh, they all seem pretty straightforward. And then you have the other spouse receiving the message. What could possibly go wrong, right? Which brand of diapers? What size? Not communicated. Wine? I don't know. Should I get her her favorite? Maybe something different? I don't know. Pomegranate? It's pretty straightforward. But what if they don't look right? Do I have permission to substitute it for something different in the produce section? Bread. Low carb? Gluten free? Who knows these things? Chocolate? How can you mess up chocolate? Just get dark chocolate. It's easy. But this is just the grocery list. Imagine what happens when you actually use the Bible and you begin to think about this. And so our passage today comes from Isaiah chapter 7. And you would think it would be pretty straightforward. I selected this verse because we hear it every single year at Christmas, that this young woman, the virgin, will give birth to a child, and you'll call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. Isaiah is the most quoted prophet um, of the entire Bible, and the gospel writer Matthew builds his whole entire argument from this particular verse. And you've probably heard it, and so I think it's super familiar to us. So as we talk about God and the Bible and how in the world do we actually read this thing that we call the Bible or our scriptures, I think we should really be asking the question and slowing down, um, how do I read again? (laughs) So let's begin with the basics, the who, what, when, where, why, how, all those things that we need to address. So the who. First, It's Isaiah. It says so. It's the title of the book. It's Isaiah. Uh, But it's really Isaiah of Jerusalem. And if we're really technical, there's kind of three portions of Isaiah with two other maybe different authors, perhaps. No one really knows because they're all dead and we can't go ask them. And so when we answer the question kind of of who's the author of Isaiah, we can say, Isaiah? And you can see how this gets complicated when you look at other books of the Bible. Like, uh, who's the author of Acts? For the longest time, I thought it was Paul, because it was about the early church and Paul. But it's really not Paul, it's Luke. And so it's like part two of the Gospel of Luke. And who's the, the author of Hebrews? For the longest time, I thought it was Paul, because that was the answer to everything in Sunday school. And Paul wrote everything in the New Testament, except for Hebrews. He didn't write that. So who did? Uh, we don't know. Was it Paul? Probably not. 
probably a woman, but you know, most of the people will say, no, it could never be a woman, absolutely not. What about Deuteronomy? Who wrote Deuteronomy? Well, we would say Moses traditionally, except for Moses is dead in the last four or five chapters or three chapters of Deuteronomy. So unless Moses was writing from beyond the grave, it probably wasn't Moses. And that Sunday school answer that you just gave is probably wrong. So you can see why all of a sudden reading is really difficult. Okay, well, what about the what of our passage? Well, it's a book of prophecy. So what in the world does that mean? Well, the what helps to kind of orient your mind to what you're reading, right? You read a graphic novel differently than you read your news feed. You read the grocery list differently than you read, um, I don't know, a blog post or something like that. So that's a little bit clearer. This passage in particular was written around the 8th to 5th century BC, which means it's really old. And sometimes we read things that are really old differently than when we read things that are from yesterday, for example. You're going to read Augustine's City of God very differently because it was written when Rome was being sacked. And so that kind of colors the way that you read it. You're going to read John Wesley's sermons a different way. You're going to read Dostoevsky's Crime and Punishment a different way, or Mark Twain's The Adventures of Huckleberry Finn differently because these are written in a different time. So where was this written? Well, it was written in the ancient Near East. And again, the same rules begin to apply. If this was written in America, it would have been written in like LA or Houston or New York or I don't know, some other city or whatever, but it wasn't. It was written in like this part of the world between all these different empires, between Assyria and Persian Empire and the Babylonians and the Romans and all these things are going on. What about the how? And we'll come back to the why in a second, because that's where we're going to end. But the how? Well, this was written down or dictated, and it was written down on vellum or parchment. And I, I get it. If you are a Bible nut or a history scholar, you know that those words that I'm saying are not 100% true um, in the most historically accurate sense of the term. I'll let you Google how ancient documents were compiled and spend the rest of your waking days reading about it. Uh, but that's the easiest and most straightforward answer for right now. So on to the why. How in the world can we determine why Isaiah wrote these words? Or how in the world can we determine why any of the Bible was written for that matter? The grocery list is clear on the why. It means get groceries, honey. <laughs> An op-ed piece is clear on the why. It's like I want to take these facts and convince you that it makes this point. And the stock market is clear on why. Uh, these numbers are going up, so GameStop is perceived to be more valuable by its shareholders. But sometimes biblical authors tell us why they are writing. If you look at the gospel writers, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, some of them are explicit. John says, these words are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. So John's telling you why he's writing. But Lucas says uh, that he's writing to give you an orderly account of things. Luke's telling you why he's writing his gospel. Mark says this is the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. He's telling you what he wants you to believe. And Matthew wants to give you this sort of fulfillment of prophecy, this fulfillment of this Davidic hope of the Old Testament. But it's not explicit. So why? Why is Isaiah proclaiming this? His mission statement is not as clear as some of the gospel writers, and so we're left with some options. And I hear people say this all the time as they read any passage of the Bible. 
They say that we want you, Josh, (laughs) the seminary-trained, ancient language-knower, Bible expert, to tell us what it means. Tell us why Isaiah wrote this. Tell us why it matters, and tell us what it means and how we can apply it to our life. I said, now we're sort of cooking with gas. We're sort of down the road together in the right way. I've met tons of good-meaning Christian folk who think that when we read, we have to know what the author meant, and that determines the text's purpose. And I've met tons of good-meaning Christian folk who think that when we read, the original uh, intent has no bearing on what it means today. And I've met tons of good-meaning Christian folk who don't read the Bible at all, and everyone in between. Uh, Countless times I've been on Facebook and I've seen good-meaning Christians use the Bible to defend themselves. And I just want to reply and say, that's not what that means. Uh, And then I catch myself and say, that's not helpful. (laughs) And so I get stuck. So let me continue with this passage, this uh, weird prophecy from Isaiah, explain the difficulties further, and then offer some tips and advice on how we should read the Bible. This passage is difficult because, one, it's written in Hebrew. Second, it's dealing with ancient cultures. And third, it's a genre called prophecy. But it's really dealing with historical people, kind of. I mean, how do we really determine that these people existed? It's really difficult at times. So let's just take the first part of our passage because we don't have 15 hours. You are here because you want to know what it means. You're here because you, have, you need some good news. Because you're looking to be equipped for this thing that we call being a Christian. And so the first part, uh, the word virgin that I think we all get hung up on and a lot of discussion happens around. The Hebrew word is alma, which could mean woman. Because really it's a combination of two other Hebrew words, isa and naraha, meaning woman and girl. And so it's commonly understood to be a young woman. This gets more complicated because the Greek chooses to translate this word out of the Old Testament, rendering it pathanos, which means um, uh, virgin. Or perhaps it means young woman of marriable age. And so you can begin to see why reading the Bible is so, so hard. Not to mention, who is the target of this prophecy? Is it... um, Hezekiah? Is it Isaiah? Is it uh, somebody else? Is it Ahaz? Who's going on here? Is it the queen? Is it Isaiah's wife? Is it Mary, the mother of Jesus, who's not even born yet? And most Christian scholars will point at this passage and say, yes, it has a double meaning. And to which I just sort of shrug and say, I don't know, maybe, maybe, yes, maybe, yes. Maybe. (laughs) And that leads me to my final point. Because we're here because we need to know what it means. And we're here because we need some good news. And we're here because, man, we need some tools on how to read the Bible faithfully in 2021. So, here's some tips, uh, tips and tricks. Number one. First tip to reading the Bible fully and faithfully in 2021 is to read the Bible. That's it. Tip number one, read the Bible. You can't really do it wrong. Just open it and read it. It will surprise you what you find. That's all I got for tip number one. Tip number two, we allow the Bible to read us and us to read it. It is this 
mutual wrestling back and forth. And so when I read these old laws in Leviticus about how you can't blend your fabrics or you can't eat shellfish or you can't, you know, animals with cloven feet, whatever, all the weird stuff. And I go, man, what does this have to do with me today? When I begin asking that question, I'm wrestling with the Bible and I'm allowing the text, the Bible, to form and shape me. It is that co-back and forth between the text that produces a person of the word, a disciple of Jesus Christ. The third tip and trick I have is that you really should question the Bible. It's okay to question the Bible. God is so much bigger than what is found between those two pieces of leather. God is so much bigger than just the Bible. The Bible is incredibly important because it is the revealed word of God, and it tells us and shows us about God's character. But you can question that. It's okay to say, man, what does that word really mean? Or did Jesus really perform those miracles? Or how many disciples were there? Or what happened to the early church? Why, why did it just stop after Acts? What is that all about? Or why did Paul leave that guy and they have a big argument and the church decided to, I don't know, I don't know. Begin questioning the Bible. It's okay. And it's a really, really good thing to do as a Christian. When you begin questioning the Bible and challenging it, it's going to challenge you back and you're going to grow in your understanding of God. The fourth tip and trick I have is to seek out meaning within the text. Oftentimes we'll kind of look elsewhere for what does it mean, but what if you read the entire Gospel of Mark by itself, just beginning to end, and then asked Mark, what do you mean? It will change the way that you read the Bible. And finally, the last tip and trick I have for you in 2021 as you seek to read the Bible faithfully is to look for ways that you can live out that struggle. Let me give you an example and close with this. I am struck by how Jesus handles situations. In fact, it really makes me quite angry sometimes. Uh, Jesus tells someone to sell off all of his possessions, which I think is ridiculous. And I think when I begin to think about what does that look like in my life to let go of the hold of materialism? All of a sudden, that story about Jesus and the scriptures begin to shape and form who I am. And then I begin to look for ways to live that out in small little baby steps. And then all of a sudden, I think I'm reading the Bible faithfully. And so may you have the courage to do so. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen.